0: Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays! You know, last year, it just so happened that Christmas came as I was getting to December 1776, so I felt compelled to tell the story of George Washington's Christmas Day victory at Trenton as a Christmas Day special. This year, our release day is Christmas Eve. How can I not tell you the heartwarming tale of Christmas at the Jackson White House in 1835? Seems we've fallen into a tradition, and I'm good with that. So grab some eggnog, imagine yourself cozying up to one of the White House's 28 fireplaces, and let's do this. Welcome to History That Doesn't Suck. I'm your professor, Greg Jackson, and I'd like to tell you a Christmas story. The old and frail President Andrew Jackson makes his way across the grand foyer of the White House and steps out under the North Portico. The shade sure is nice. I know it's hard to imagine the White House without it, but this square, overhanging facade and its massive white columns were only added to the White House about five years ago. In fact, as you picture this, remove the iconic hanging lamp from the scene. It isn't there yet. Ah, now you've got it. And as soon as Andrew steps out into the unseasonably warm December air, four little voices greet him. The children nearly bowl over the aging president as they clamor to be the first to receive a hug and a kiss from old Hickory. Although I doubt they see him as the nicknamed war hero. To them, he's simply their beloved grandfather or great uncle. Yeah, remember what I've said in the past three episodes about Andrew being a walking contradiction? Well, the same warrior-turned-president who wins wars and bends Washington, D.C. to his iron will has an enormous soft spot in his heart for children. All children. But he's especially a tender, loving sap when it comes to these Jackson and Donaldson kids. And you know, since we're going to spend Christmas with Andrew and his clan, let's get to know the families currently living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. First, there's Andrew's adopted son, Andrew Jr., and his wife, Sarah, and their two kids, little four-year-old Rachel and one-and-a-half-year-old Andrew Jackson Third. Then we have the president's nephew, who's already serving as his private secretary, Andrew Jackson Donaldson. You probably remember the falling out between unbending old Hickory and Donaldson's wife, Emily, back in episode 28, or the tabloid headline-worthy Eaton affair, Well, that's all water under the bridge now. So Donaldson, Emily, and their four kids, Jackson, Mary Emily, John, and baby Rachel are all living at the White House with Andrew too. So all in all, six children are at the White House. And today, December 24th, 1835, great-uncle-slash-granddad Jackson is taking the four older ones, Rachel, Jackson, Mary Emily, and John, on a charity excursion. They're going to visit the Washington City Orphan Asylum. Located less than a mile east of the Grand White House, this small orphanage has been operating for about 20 years. It was founded by several prominent charitable Washington socialites, including at least two that we've met in past episodes, Margaret Bayard Smith and former First Lady, Dolly Madison. Andrew visits regularly. He is an orphan himself, after all, and occasionally takes the Donaldson kids, Mary, Emily, and Jackson, with him. But today is the first time Andrew's bringing John Donaldson and his granddaughter, Rachel. While White House servants load the carriage with enough gifts and treats for the orphans to mistake Andrew for a gangly version of Santa Claus, the nursemaid bundles the four young Jackson and Donaldson children against the not-that-cold-damp air. Soon enough, the entire gift-toting party is secured in the coach and on its way to the humble group home. As the carriage rattles along, three-and-a-half-year-old John turns to his beloved great-uncle Andrew and asks, Uncle, did you ever see Santa Claus? There's no way the hardened politician would let his guard down with one of those wigs, like Henry Clay. But again, old Hickory becomes old softy when he's with the kids. Andrew tenderly responds to his sweet great-nephew. No, my boy, I never did. John, with a little worry in his voice, opens up to his great-uncle. Mammy thinks he'll not come tonight. Did you ever know him to behave that way? Betraying train a little wobble in his own voice, Andrew replies. We can only wait and see. I once knew a little boy who not only never had a toy in his life, but after the death of his mother, a pure, saintly woman had neither home nor friends. Okay, so maybe he's being a little guarded, but more likely Andrew's just trying to shield the small boy from life's harsh realities on Christmas Eve. And his efforts to shield them work for now. The naive children don't realize their beloved patriarch's distressing story is autobiographical. Nine-year-old Jackson cries out, Poor little fellow, had he come to the White House, we would have shared our playthings with him. Tears pool in old Hickory's eyes as his great-nephew's charitable words almost completely do him in. Come on, hero of New Orleans, keep it together. Andrew clears his throat and responds to the kids with some advice. The best way to secure happiness is to bestow it on others, and we'll begin our holiday by remembering the little ones who have no mothers or fathers to brighten life for them. As soon as the sage words are out of his mouth, the carriage stops in front of the orphanage on H Street. Andrew and the kids pile out of the coach and bound up the front steps of the small building. When the matron greets the Santa Plain president, Andrew, he replies, Here I am with some Christmas cheer for your young charges. The orphans congregate in the small reception room of the orphanage and fatherly Andrew, undoubtedly recalling the lonely, presentless, and parentless Christmases of his own childhood, hands out gifts to each child himself. With their bags and arms now emptied, the still tall, despite his age president, and the four children leave the asylum. They have to hurry back to the White House for the grand Christmas Eve dinner party in the works for Washington's social and political elite. Of course, the kids aren't invited to join the sumptuous meal, but Andrew has a special Christmas Eve surprise for them after their simple early supper. He leads the four big kids up to his own room, since it has one of the biggest fireplaces in the whole house. Definitely big enough for a full-grown man to fit through, hint, hint. Andrew helps all four children hang stockings for Santa Claus. But don't go picturing those personalized needlepoint stockings your mom ordered from Pottery Barn last year. No, these kids are using their nanny's actual stockings, no doubt hoping that Santa will fill the adult-sized hose to the brim. Andrew makes sure all of his treasured progeny have their stockings prominently placed where Santa will be sure to see them. He even gets two small socks for baby Rachel and baby Andrew Jackson III, who are already asleep in the nursery. Well, three-and-a-half-year-old John surveys the scene. The room looks like it jumped right out of Clement Seymour's recently written poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Say it with me if you aren't in line at the mall. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Anyway, the little boy realizes one person still needs to hang a stocking above the great big fireplace. President Andrew Jackson. Why not hang up a stocking for Uncle? The children excitedly suggest. Without waiting for Andrew's response, John runs over to Andrew's dresser, opens the bottom drawer, and grabs the first sock he lays his chubby little hand on. The boy hooks the sock over the fireplace tong standing on the substantial hearth and announces, Now let's see how Santa Claus will treat you, Mr. Uncle Jackson, President of all these United States. Andrew's shocked and touched. Well, well, to think I've waited nearly 70 years to hang up a Christmas stocking, he responds. Oh, right. Orphaned by the Revolutionary War, he never had the kind of Christmas he now strives to give the orphans down the road. Or these six little ones under the presidential roof? Well, that's a bleak thought. Okay, so with one last check on the all-important stockings, the children walk across the hall to join the babies in the nursery. Six-year-old Mary Emily is sure she won't be able to sleep. Santa Claus is coming! But soon she drifts off to visions of sugar plums dancing in her head. Her brothers and cousins do the same, and as they sleep... At Luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group, Void were prohibited by law, 18 plus Terms and conditions supply. Christmas gifts, you sleepy heads, Mammy calls out the next morning. The kids don't need telling twice. I mean, could there be a better alarm clock for children on December twenty-fifth than the phrase Christmas gifts? Some things never change, right? The big kids take babies Rachel and Andrew in their arms and run across the hall to Andrew's room, paying no attention to the protest of their strict mammy, shouting, Wait till you're dressed. You'll catch your death of cold. In the typical single-mindedness of children about to open gifts and eat candy, they ignore their nanny and practically break down the president's bedroom door with their knocking. Andrew excitedly opens the door. He's already dressed. Yeah. Old softy, sorry, I mean Old Hickory, is as excited as the kids about Christmas morning. The little ones burst into the room with excitement. Did Santa Claus come? Did Santa Claus come? Jackson, Mary Emily, John and Rachel all shout at once. I'm pretty sure that the old general wouldn't have tolerated this behavior from any of his soldiers or officers back in New Orleans. But like I said at the start of this episode, contradictory Andrew has a serious soft spot for these kids. Laughing, he tells the little ones, See for yourselves. The fireplace hearth and mantle are just begging to be an Insta story. Hashtag Santa was here. The indulgent grandfather slash great uncle has a bright, warm fire burning in the fireplace, and presents from Santa lay beneath each of the child's stuck to the brim stockings. Young Jackson, Ready to be a heroic soldier, just like his great uncle, the hero of New Orleans, receives a toy gun, a small saddle, and a bridle. Little three-year-old John gets a drum and hobby horse. Santa left a china doll and tea set for both Mary Emily and little Rachel. And babies Rachel Donaldson and Andrew Jackson III aren't left out either. Each gets a new rattle. But Santa didn't forget Andrew. The old man's far too busy watching the children enjoy their gifts to pay much attention, but a cob pipe, tobacco bag, and house slippers are sitting next to his stocking. It took seven decades, Andrew, but look at that. There's a little St. Nicholas magic for you too. Before the children have a chance to get to the bottom of their stockings to see if Santa gave them a nickel or a dime, strict as ever, Mammy bustles all six of them back to the nursery to get dressed and ready for Christmas breakfast. This lady is the general of the nursery, and not even Christmas is going to derail her for too long. And hey, someone's got to keep up the discipline, right? Because indulgent Andrew sure isn't going to do it. After getting dressed and having their hair slicked back and faces scrubbed pink by the conscientious mammy, the children skip downstairs to the dining room. Cedar boughs, sprigs of holly, and vases full of flowers cover every available surface in the room of the first floor of the White House. I think Joanna Gaines from HGTV's Fixer Upper would approve. And tucked into the greenery on the dining room table fireplace mantel are even more wrapped gifts for Andrew's family members. So the whole family gulps down a quick breakfast and heads back upstairs to continue with the presents. There are five adults and six children in this Jackson crew, so I think you can imagine the mounds of gifts they have for each other. And after they get through the family gift exchange, there are more presents from family friends, like Vice President Martin Van Buren. Thoughtful family man Martin sends a toy stove with a functioning alcohol burner to six-year-old Mary Emily. Yeah, the Easy Bake Oven has nothing on this contraption. Eagerly, Mary Emily and her cousin Rachel get the stove lit and start cooking right there in the playroom. Mary Emily later recounted this moment. Quote, Lighting the lamp in the stove, we popped corn in the oven, shouted gleefully when the corn executed its staccato dance, occasionally giving us a hot smack on the face or hands. Close quote. Sounds like this toy doesn't come with a user manual full of safety warnings. Well, after the children play themselves out, somehow managing to avoid popcorn burns as severe as those caused by George Bluth's corn baller on Arrested Development, it's time to get ready for the party of the year. See, a few weeks ago, Andrew's niece and reinstalled White House hostess, Emily Donaldson, suggested to the president that the Jackson family throw a children's Christmas party. The indulgent grandfather readily agreed, and Emily sent out invitations to a bunch of prominent Washington, D.C. families that read, and I quote, The children of President Jackson's family request you to join them on Christmas Day at 4 o'clock p.m. in a frolic in the East Room. Close quote. Of course, nearly everyone RSVP'd yes. No one wants to miss the first White House children's Christmas party. Come four o'clock on Christmas Day, the Jackson family children, their mothers, Emily and Sarah, and old Hickory himself stand in the columned and decorated-to-the-hilt grand foyer, waiting to greet their guests. Of course, Mammy has the kids decked out in their Christmas finest. Four-year-old Rachel Jackson, with her soft, dark curls, has on her brand new pink cashmere dress and silk stockings with kid leather slippers. Mary Emily, just a few years older than her cousin, has on a matching dress in blue. Mary's older brother, Jackson, wears a brass button suit jacket, and his little brother John sports his new Scottish plaid suit. These kids are definitely Christmas card photo worthy. As guests walk up the steps of the new and impressive North Portico and into the foyer, they greet their hosts and head to the large ballroom, simply called the East Room, which is decked out like the rest of the house, with cedar branches, flowers, and even hanging mistletoe. But alas, there isn't a decorated tree. The German tradition of having a freshly cut, decorated evergreen standing in the living room just hasn't caught on with most Americans yet while the moms and dads of the young party-goers stand around sipping eggnog, which I'm guessing is spiked with more than a little rum and bourbon because, hey, it's Christmas. The kids start playing games like hide-and-seek. Martin Van Buren, whose kids have yet to give him grandkids, blows off drinking with the other adults to play games with the kids instead. And this produces one of my favorite anecdotes of Martin's life. When the illustrious VP loses one of the games, the children force him to stand on one leg in the middle of the room and shout, Here I stand all ragged and dirty. If you don't kiss me, I'll run like a turkey. Not a single child volunteers to kiss the portly balding statesman. Instead, they laugh their heads off as the vice president of the United States struts around the room like a turkey, gobbling ridiculously. Gobble, 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 gobble. gobble. I have to say, some might think his behavior beneath the dignity of his office, but personally, I love seeing an elected official who's so caring and down-to-earth that he can forget himself for one night. As the games wind down, the band strikes up the president's march and the guests walk into the dining room. The cross-shaped table almost audibly groans under the weight of the fabulous decorations and the delicious feast. Okay, wait, a band. A banquet. This little children's frolic is way better than your office or family Christmas party. What can I say? White House hostess Emily Donaldson has pulled out all the stops. Get this. At one end of the table, mini figurine reindeer sit on top of a fishbowl full of live goldfish. At the other, there's a pyramid of fake snowballs. Really, just starched coated cotton balls. Which the chef covered with countless candy icicles. In between these two amazing displays sits enough food to feed an army and edible decorations that would even impress Buddy Velastro from Cake Boss. The partygoers devour the meal in almost no time. Thankfully, they behave themselves a little better than the guests at the president's first inauguration back in episode 28. While the adults let their meals digest, the kids start playing with the cotton snowballs. It hasn't snowed at all yet, and the kids are desperate for a little winter fun. Soon, a full-fledged indoor snowball fight is underway. As the starched cotton hits unsuspecting kids, the starch breaks off of the cotton balls bit by bit and fills the air in the dining room with tiny flakes that look almost like the real thing. With kids laughing in the background and fake snow falling slowly to the floor, the dining room feels like a Hallmark Christmas movie. One of the prominent guests, former first lady, Dolly Madison, turns to Andrew and says, quote, What a beautiful sight. It reminds me of the fairy procession in Midsummer Night's Dream. Close quote. Well, Andrew's no Shakespeare buff, but he does read the Bible every day. The devout Christian president fittingly replies, It recalls to me, madam, our divine master's words, Suffer little children to come to me, and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Old softy indeed. The party soon breaks up, and I like to imagine that Andrew whispers to himself as the guests leave. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. History That Doesn't Suck is supported by fans at patreon.com forward slash history that doesn't suck. Josh, Ciel, and I are beyond grateful to you kind souls providing funding to help us keep going. Thank you. And a special thanks to our patrons whose monthly gift puts them at producer status. Will Caldwell, Jason Carson's, and Rue Conway. Join me in two weeks where I'd like to tell you a story. With the Lucky Land Slot, you can get lucky just about anywhere.